Hello, my lovely listeners. Welcome back to the Miss Independent Podcast, where I teach women to be more confident investors, entrepreneurs, and go further in their careers. Also, quick note, when I say women, I want to be inclusive of anyone that identifies with that term. And by no means do I want to exclude my male-identifying listeners from this. I've just chosen to target women because there's a huge lack of financial resources that are available to women, made by women, and I want to bridge that gap. We're about to potentially go into another lockdown here in Canada. Some provinces have already announced restrictions with the new variant, so I'm coping the only way that I've learned this past year, and that's with copious amounts of alcohol. So I'm recording this and sipping on a little coffee with Bailey's. Hopefully you guys are coping and doing okay and staying safe out there as well. What you can expect from today's episode, it's going to be a quick review of what cryptocurrency is as an asset class, why people are choosing to invest in it, what the top cryptocurrencies are, what they do, and how people are making money with the asset class. Let's talk crypto, babies. More and more people are jumping into cryptocurrencies because of how easy it's becoming to trade the digital asset. CNBC actually did a survey and more than 10% of the people that were surveyed said that they invested in crypto, ranking digital coins fourth after real estate, stocks, mutual funds, and bonds. Interesting to think about. I mean, personally, if I was ranking them, I wouldn't put them in that order, but everybody has their own risk and comfort level. So 10% of people are ranking crypto as fourth in terms of asset classes that are important to invest in. 65% of those cryptocurrency investors jumped into the asset class in the last year. So crypto has seen mass adoption in 2021. And if we look at projections and Google search volume and trends, I anticipate that this is going to continue into 2022. In the same time frame, though, the prices of some of the top cryptocurrencies were incredibly volatile. Bitcoin, for example, surged to an all-time high of more than 65,000 USD in April. That's about 85,000 for all my Canadians. And then it slumped afterwards. Then it rallied again. So right now it's hovering at about 50,000. Or if you're looking at that in CAD, that's about 63,000. Now, the people that do trade cryptocurrencies, the top reasons why they go into that space is because it's easy to make trades. It's exciting to invest in, and there's a potential for high growth in a really short period of time. There's a lot of things that make crypto very attractive, and I think the biggest one is that it's an opportunity to make a lot of money. But why else are people buying it? What else makes it attractive? Well, Cryptocurrencies are a pretty transformative technology that, in my opinion, could change a number of different industries. They can't be printed or seized, and they provide a sort of store of value, Bitcoin specifically, other currencies are different, and I'm going to expand on all of this as well. But cryptocurrencies are still highly speculative, and there's no guarantee that they're ever going to see mainstream usage. Although we are seeing more and more mass adoption, there's no guarantee that any one currency is going to become the mainstream adopted currency. But if we look at the tech that's underlying what the currencies are, it's blockchain technology. That's what's underlying Bitcoin and other cryptos, and it's hailed as a potential game changer for a lot of industries from things like shipping to supply chain, banking, healthcare, all of these different industries have blockchain applications. 
And the beautiful thing about the blockchain is that everybody has an address. You can have multiple addresses if you have multiple wallets. I'm going to explain this a little bit later. And when you buy or sell a cryptocurrency, everything is reported on a ledger. So for anyone that's confused about how blockchain works, I want you to imagine a chain. And I'm watching the HBO sequel to Sex and the City right now. It's called And Just Like That. It's pretty good. Minus the absolute shit show of what they did to Big, but I'm not going to spoil anything if you haven't seen it. So I want you to imagine a chain, okay? I want you to imagine Samantha, Miranda, Carrie, and Charlotte all holding hands in a chain walking down Fifth Ave. Now, Carrie goes in to buy a pair of Manolo Blahniks. Samantha, Miranda, and Charlotte are all there to witness this happen. So they witness the transaction. Now, Stanford who's Carrie's GBF, happens to be walking by and sees the girls walking in a chain. And then he stops to ask, tell me Carrie didn't just buy another pair of Manolos. To which the girls in unison are going to reply, yeah, she did. We all wrote it down because we're trying to record her transactions. Why they'd be recording her transactions in real life? Probably because Carrie's spending habits are absurd and definitely need some attention. But that's exactly how blockchain works. So if you break down the word, you have block and chain. Every block is like Charlotte, Sam, Miranda, and they all record information about a recent transaction. And the blocks are all connected to each other in chronological order. So it's called a digital register of transactions. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a transaction. It can also be a deal or a contract. All of those things of value, which can be represented in the form of a digital asset. So in simple words, it's just a network of computers that all have the same history of transactions. So the list of transactions is held on every computer and every transaction gets validated by every computer. So it's constantly updating itself. It's got a bunch of different advantages that no other technology can provide. So seeing this in life, Seeing this in life is pretty, pretty damn cool. I've gone pretty deep in crypto this past year. I've talked to you guys about this and a lot of my close friends are also very involved in crypto. So anytime I need to send money to someone, let's say we all book a trip together, one person paid for the Airbnb and I need to transfer that person for my share, I send the money via crypto. It's faster. It doesn't cost me as much. Usually with e-transfers, there are limits as well. So depending on the currency, um, this might look a little different, but it's incredible, it's super fast, and the transaction gets verified on the blockchain. And then I can actually see where the transaction is confirmed. So the amazing thing is that I can see a record of all of this via something called an explorer, which is basically just a website. And depending on what currency you're sending money in, you'd use either Etherscan or BSC scan. These are just different blockchain explorers. There's one for Bitcoin as well. And you can type in the address that you're sending money to, and then you see that the transaction was confirmed. So this is the big driver as to why people are investing in the tech. The tech is pretty damn cool. It's got a ton of different applications like smart contracts that could potentially disrupt a bunch of industries. And another reason why people are looking at it is because they believe it's a stable, censorship-resistant store of value. So fiat money, and that's what the US dollar and any typical currency is called, it doesn't have a limited supply. What I mean by this is before 1933, all of the US dollars in circulation were backed by the amount of gold that there was in supply. And the gold standard, which you may have heard about before, is a monetary system that directly links 
a currency's value to that of gold. So a country that's on the gold standard can't increase the amount of money in circulation without also increasing its gold reserves. Because the global gold supply grows fairly slowly, being on the gold standard would hold governments back, and they wouldn't be able to overspend and keep inflation in check. So right now, there's no currency that's backed by the gold standard, and many countries have had their currency backed by gold in the past, including the U.S., So for half a century, starting from 1879, Americans could trade in $20.67 for an ounce of gold. Now it's not the case. Now you can't go to the bank and take your U.S. dollars and exchange it for gold because we're no longer on the gold standard. And this change happened in 1933, and it was when the U.S. was in the Great Depression. The country abandoned the gold standard, and it slowly started working towards completely destroying the link between the dollar and gold. And this change didn't finalize until 1971. So the U.S. now has a fiat money system, meaning the dollar value is not linked to any particular asset. 40% of the U.S. dollars in existence were printed this last year. So I want you to think about that for for a second. It's almost half of the money supply that's in circulation of the U.S. dollar was printed in the last year. That basically means that it was created out of thin air. And if you look at history, the same thing happened in Germany just before the World War, just before the Second World War, and it caused hyperinflation. People were going crazy. People were going to the markets with wheelbarrows of money because the notes were devaluing every minute. And we're starting to see a bit of that now. Inflation's on the rise. It's near a 40-year high right now. We're not quite at hyperinflation, but inflation is definitely increasing, and people are very much aware of what's going on. I'm going to do a whole other episode on inflation, but in my Q&A, someone asked how you can prepare, and a lot of people are using cryptocurrency as a way to hedge against inflation. That's something that the Fed isn't too happy about, but it is something that people are exploring. So I want to elaborate on this because it's something that everybody should be actively thinking about. Back to crypto, though. Unlike fiat money, Most cryptocurrencies have a limited supply, which means that the supply is capped, usually by mathematical algorithms. So what that means is it's impossible for any political body or government to dilute the value through inflation. Because of the nature of crypto in general, it would be impossible for a government body to tax or confiscate tokens without the person that actually owns them to cooperate. They can't just take the funds from somebody's address. It has to be sent by the person who owns the keys to that address. Bitcoin specifically, though, is looked at like digital gold because there's a limited supply. Mining, which is something that I'm going to get into a little bit later, is one of the ways that people make money in the crypto world. And it's a process where computers basically solve really complex equations. So you need really powerful computers that don't overheat, that have strong processing abilities, and they're able to solve equations quickly. But with mining, what happens with Bitcoin specifically is every four years, the equations that the computer needs to solve in order to mine Bitcoin becomes more and more difficult. So the amount of Bitcoin that you receive for every transaction is actually cut in half. After 210,000 blocks are mined, which roughly happens every four years, 
the block reward that's given to Bitcoin miners for processing the transaction is cut in half. So that's called halving because it cuts the rate at which new Bitcoins are released into circulation. So this is Bitcoin's way of enforcing synthetic inflation until all new Bitcoins are released. And this is going to continue until it's estimated to be the year of 2140 because there's a limit of 21 million Bitcoin in the universe. And the last time Bitcoin halved was May 11th of 2020. So the person or group that created Bitcoin is called Satoshi Nakamoto. And he or they, we don't know if it's a person or a group, they coded it in a way to synthetically produce inflation. Every four years after the halving, the amount that's added to supply decreases. And if you understand economics or if you want a quick crash course, when supply decreases and demand is consistent, the price increases. And what happens with Bitcoin is supply is decreasing every four years and demand is growing. So that's why the price of it is also increasing exponentially. This, this is the property that makes crypto attractive to people who are worried about hyperinflation because things like bank failures and other disastrous events could potentially be avoided if as a global economy, we move towards Bitcoin. So Bitcoin has had a lot of attention because of its deflationary and censorship resistant properties, we'll call them. And it leads people to describe it as digital gold. It's not actually digital gold, but because there's a limited supply and it decreases every four years, just like gold, there's only a certain amount of it to be mined in existence. Bitcoin kind of acts the same way. So a lot of people might be thinking, is there still an opportunity for you to make money with Bitcoin or is all of this kind of speculation? And, and so a lot of supporters think that digital currency in general is something that's going to become part of daily life. And the cryptocurrency market in general right now is being dominated by speculative trading. There are so many studies that are being done about people's perception of Bitcoin and different blockchain activity. And what some of these studies show is that the exchange trades or trading different cryptocurrencies is still the most prevalent use for cryptocurrency. And it accounts for far more economic activity than ordinary trades and purchases. So people that are cryptocurrency skeptics, which are people like Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, and the CEO of JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon, they all think that crypto is part of a potential bubble. And if you look at history, crypto is not the first asset to have the same kind of craze of speculation. So there was a big bubble with assets like cannabis stocks, tech stocks frequently go through this, precious metals. So as a new investor, I want you to understand that the space is still really new. And I don't want you to fall victim to herd mentality or FOMO. If you're going to invest in crypto, I want you to understand what you're investing in. And I want you to understand that you shouldn't invest more than you're willing to lose. It's still so incredibly volatile. The price could change drastically. And there's a lot of theft and scams that go on in this space. So let me break down some of these different thefts, scams, and other ways that people experience losses. 
One of the most impressive and unique aspects of crypto is the fact that it's decentralized. And that also is a cause of its significant liability. And let me explain a few different scenarios. But because crypto doesn't have a central intermediary or like a a regulating body, it falls onto the user to safely store your keys, which control your, your address, your blockchain address, in a safe place. So if you're buying Bitcoin or Ethereum, you can store it on a hard wallet, just like a USB stick. And you're basically taking your crypto offline. There's lots of different brands of hard wallets out there. There's different instructions on how to transfer it from an exchange. But basically, you're taking your assets and you're storing them offline for safekeeping. That's basically what a hard wallet is. So if anyone's ever talked to you about a ledger, if you are in crypto for the long term, if you want to buy Bitcoin, buy Ethereum for the long haul, you definitely want to consider keeping it on a hard wallet, basically stored away. Imagine keeping your gold in a Swiss bank locked away with a key. And theft is the biggest threat to crypto. So when you keep it on an exchange, let's say you buy some Bitcoin through Wealthsimple, exchanges have been hacked. And there's so many schemes which you can fall victim to, which I'm going to talk about as I get into some of the altcoins. Another major threat, though, with crypto is you as a user yourself, because unlike other tech assets or different things that we've experienced, most digital wallets can't be reset. You can't just reset your password if you forget your passphrase. So there's been tons of people who have lost millions of dollars worth of cryptocurrency because they forgot their password or they lost their device, they lost their hard wallet. And when you create a wallet, you get a phrase. Make sure you write this phrase down somewhere in a very secret place where nobody but yourself has access to it and you know where it is. Try not to take a picture of it because iCloud can get hacked. Make sure you're keeping it in a safe place because that's what's going to get you into your crypto account in the future. So crypto, pretty volatile space. Some people think that it's all speculation. Some people think that it is the next revolutionary currency and it's going to replace the dollar because it actually is a hedge against inflation. So there's all kinds of different pros and cons. I'm going to talk to you about where my thoughts are and where my beliefs are as we get into this. I hold a variety of different cryptocurrencies. And again, if you do want to invest in it, I want to make sure that you understand what you're actually buying before you make that purchase. There's a bunch of different cryptocurrencies that are in the market right now. There's over 10 thousand different tokens that you can buy. The market cap for cryptocurrencies in general is just at $2 trillion. So it's massive. So a lot of opportunity in the space, but there's also a lot of different currencies that you can buy. So how do you know which one you want to buy? Well, the first step as always is to do some research. Now I'm going to break down the top currencies and how I'm listing them is I'm listing them in order of trading volume that's reported by CoinMarketCap which people in the crypto world call CMC. And Bitcoin is the top cryptocurrency. I mean, it's no surprise. Everybody's heard about Bitcoin and it was launched in 2009. It didn't have many other competitors and it was the first cryptocurrency in this space. It actually created the realm of digital currency. By 2011 though, all kinds of new cryptocurrencies were launched and they started to emerge as competitors and they adopted the blockchain technology that Bitcoin was built on. And then some started to launch their own platforms and their own currencies. 
why Bitcoin is number one? Well, like I said, everyone and their grandma has heard of Bitcoin. So it's just the marketing aspect. Bitcoin is just very well known in the market. And I've been holding Bitcoin for a while now. I bought a lump sum a couple of years ago. It's a long position of mine. I don't plan on selling anytime soon. I have it on a hard wallet. And it was the first cryptocurrency that I actually bought. It was my introduction into the game. But in terms of technology, there are definitely stronger players out there who bring more to the table. Bitcoin was just first. Bitcoin was thought to be like digital gold and there's mass adoption in this space. The next one, if you're guessed Ethereum, you are 100% right. Ethereum is the second most traded cryptocurrency in the world right now. And like Bitcoin, it's a blockchain network of its own, but Ethereum specifically was first designed as a programmable blockchain, which meant that it wasn't created to support a cryptocurrency. It was created to allow users to publish, monetize, and use different apps, which in the crypto world is called a D-app. Ether, or ETH, which you may have heard of before, is basically what the currency is. And it was developed as a way for people to make payments on the Ethereum platform. So Ethereum first is a platform, Ether is the currency. And as of December 2021, at the time that I'm recording this episode, Ether was the number two currency. ETH is also generated using a proof of work system, which similar to Bitcoin, just means that you can see a record of transactions. I'm not going to talk about this too in depth because it can get a little technical and I'm going to lose you guys, but basically it's a way to verify each transaction and keeps a record of each transaction. So. Think back to the Sex and the City example. You've got Carrie, Sam, Miranda. Carrie goes to buy shoes. Everyone verifies that that transaction happened. That's basically what proof of work is. But unlike Bitcoin, there's no limit to how much Ether exists or can be created. And Ethereum actually helped fuel a lot of the initial coin offerings or ICOs, which you may have heard of, because they're built on the Ethereum blockchain. And Ethereum's actually been behind the boom of non-fungible tokens or NFTs. And if you've never heard the term, it's basically a digital version of art or a collectible that are linked to the blockchain and made to be one of a kind. So Ethereum was a blockchain first, and then Ether or ETH, ETH, is the native cryptocurrency that was developed to be a form of payment. And why more and more people are buying Ether is mainly because of the applications that people can build on the blockchain. So a lot of these D apps, there's a lot more than you can do with this network than Bitcoin, for example. So if you imagine the game Roller Coaster Tycoon, I don't know why I thought of this, but let's just run with this example. Ethereum blockchain is like the game in and of itself. And then the D apps are the different roller coasters that you can build within it. NFTs are actually the best example of this because you need to own Ether to buy an NFT. And a lot of ICOs or initial coin offerings were built on the Ether smart chain back in 2017. And now more and more are being built on Binance, mainly because it's easier to code on Binance. The one downside of Ethereum is that the transaction fees on Ethereum, which are called gas fees, are a little bit higher. So gas fees are payment fees or payments that are made by users to compensate for the computing energy that's required to actually process and validate transactions on the blockchain. Whenever a transaction goes through, let's say 
Carrie decides to buy her Manola Blahniks. Let's say she wants to send those Manola Blahniks to someone else. She's going to have to either get someone to pick up and package the shoes and then bring them to that other party. So that's my example of like sending something on the Ethereum chain, sending Ethereum to a different address. In order for that transaction to take place, there's a lot of computing energy that's required to actually facilitate that transaction. So that's what gas fees are. It's basically what you're willing to spend to facilitate a transaction. And if there's a lot of transactions happening, you have to wait until they're validated. So it can take a little bit of time for an Ethereum transaction to go through if you have a low gas fee or if you have a higher limit that you're setting for gas, then the transaction can get expedited because you're willing to pay more for it to go through. Ethereum in the past year has seen gains of 416% and its market cap right now at the time of recording is 441 billion. I've been actually dollar costing into Ethereum monthly. I have a pretty sizable portfolio of it and I keep it part of it on a hard wallet, some of it on um, a wallet that I use for exchanges, but either way, it's something that I've built up over time. And I personally love ETH just because of the different potential that I see with all of these different dApps that are built on top of it. Uh, to give you an example of like something incredible that just recently happened, I bought a custom hat from a hat maker with Ethereum. And that was probably the coolest thing that I've done with crypto. And I'll show you guys when it's done, it's currently being built. I got it from a couple of hat makers who call themselves Wild Hats on Instagram. You can check them out. They live in the wild or in the country and they just make hats and hunt things. And um, I've seen them kill snakes on their property and then they make snake stew and then use the snake skin to actually decorate their hats, which is pretty cool. Um, the one that I'm getting made isn't going to have snake skin on it, but I'll definitely show you guys when it's done. The crazy thing about this hat is it's actually being made into an NFT that I'll own and I can wear it in the metaverse. So once I do come out into the metaverse, I'm gonna have my own custom hat, which I'm really excited about. The third largest cryptocurrency by volume of trading is BNB or Binance Coin. And Binance is the largest cryptocurrency exchange. Side note, an exchange is where you go to buy cryptocurrency. So if you think about like a currency exchange, when you go on vacation and let's say you have USD that you take out and you want to buy euros when you're traveling, it's the same kind of thing, but digital. You give them fiat currency. Now you guys know what fiat is and or a cryptocurrency too. You can sell them a cryptocurrency and then they sell you what you're looking for. Binance right now is the world's largest exchange and it's actually banned in Ontario, which is a province in Canada. And they actually advised all of their customers to, to take immediate action and close out all their active positions by December 31st of this year. So if you have Binance and you have any open positions, close them out or move them to a different address. In June of 2021, they had some threats about regulatory issues that the Ontario Security Commission came out with, the OSC, and the cryptocurrency exchange updated their terms of service and basically said that Binance has blocked services to Ontario and asked Ontario-based users to close up their positions. But that's just Ontario. Worldwide, at the time of recording, like I said, it's the largest exchange ranked by volume. 
Coinbase, which went through its IPO, is actually number two. FTX is number three. And then Crypto.com, which we've been hearing more and more about as they sponsor the stadium, is number 14, just to put things into perspective. So Binance is the leading exchange. They made their own local token as a medium of exchange, which is Binance Coin. And it was initially built on the Ethereum blockchain, but now it lives on Binance's own blockchain platform. So Binance used Ethereum and now it's kind of its own fork. BNB was actually created as a utility token in 2017 to allow traders to get discounts on things like trading fees on Binance. And now it's used for payments. It's used to book travel. It's used for entertainment. Like it's its own currency now. And I've even seen it used in different financial services and different instruments. So it's got a lot of different applications as well. And a lot of cool things have happened in the space. Another thing that's really interesting about BNB is it was created with a maximum of 200 million tokens. About half of them were made available to investors during its ICO. So people that were using Binance originally, early adopters, it created this token. Half of it was available for investors. And every quarter, Binance actually buys back tokens from its investors and then burns them or permanently destroys some of its coins to drive demand. And in July of 2021, Binance did its 16th burn. And during the burn, it burned 1.29 million BNB, which is roughly equal to 394 million in USD at the time. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. BNB is a really, really interesting currency. There's a ton of dApps that are built on top of it as well. A lot of tokens that are built on the Binance Smart Chain, which I'm going to talk about next. But year to date, BNB has seen a gain of 1,294%. So 1,294% increase over the past year. And its market cap is $86 billion. BNB is something that I've also been holding for a while. Now, that doesn't mean that it's something that I recommend to all of you guys. There's also only certain platforms that you'll be able to hold it on because Binance is no longer available in Ontario. The next cryptocurrency in terms of trading volume is a stable coin or it's something that's called Tether. And Tether was the first cryptocurrency that was marketed as a quote unquote stable coin, which is basically a type of crypto that's value is pegged to a fiat currency. In this case, it's the US dollar. So Tether is designed to offer stability, transparency, and lower transaction fees. That's its main kind of value add to the user. It's not a speculative investment because like some cryptocurrencies, it's used by investors who want to avoid the extreme volatility of the crypto market. As of February 2021, 57% of Bitcoin trading was actually conducted using Tether. So people that are trading cryptocurrencies will swap whatever currency they're trading into Tether because it's kind of like it maintains its value. It's not as volatile, especially if the price is dropping significantly. So it's kind of like an intermediary that people use between different transactions. And the price of Tether like I mentioned, is pegged to the US dollar, which is why the ticker for it is USDT. Supposedly, it maintains 
a one-to-one -one value according to the company that issued it. There's no guarantee that Tether can be exchanged for US dollars in the future. They don't want to be associated with the US dollar. It's just a financial asset that mimics the price of the US dollar. So if you're looking at regulation as something that is going to affect the crypto space, I think Tether is one of the first things that they're going to be mindful of because it mimics the US dollar. So in my eyes, this is one that you wouldn't want to necessarily keep your money in long term. But if you're a trader, it's something that you use quite often. And USDT isn't the only one. There's all kinds of different ones as well. So people that trade cryptocurrencies keep their money in stable coins because it's easier to exchange stable coins for other currencies. And they're accepted by almost every exchange as well. There's not as much volatility and the transaction fees are significantly lower. Solana is the next one that I'm going to get into. And Solana actually held its gains better than a lot of the other cryptocurrencies, especially after it quadrupled around August and September. And then it pulled back a little bit because of uh, intermittent instability issues that it ran into on the blockchain. Then it went and it ran again, and now it's kind of recovered. It's very similar to Avalanche, which I'm not going to get into. It's a smaller one. But Solana is called the Ethereum killer, and it uses something called point of stake, which unlike point of work, just again, blockchain technology, technical jargon that I'm not going to get into. Basically, what that means is that Solana uses or Solana has faster transactions and lower fees. All of the smart contract platforms that we've talked about allow applications to be built on their network. And while Ethereum uses point of work, to gain consensus on transactions, basically to have transactions be approved. Solana uses a mix of point of stake, which again leads to faster transactions, and something new called proof of history, which is a timestamp that removes the need for validators to verify the timestamp of every transaction. So Solana argues that it's more efficient than Ethereum, and that's why people are investing into it because Ethereum is still relatively new. So Solana thinks that they'll get mass adoption as well. And investors are piling in because of that. So the main value of Solana and why people are piling in is because the protocol solves a delay in some of the other systems. And year to date, it saw a gain of 9,160%. Massive gain. Like this is the reason why cryptocurrencies are so attractive to investors is because the gain potential with some of these is far more significant than what you're going to see in typical markets. But again, with massive volatility, you have massive risk and it's all based on adoption and demand. Some of that demand is manufactured artificially, which we'll get into when we talk about some of the other altcoins. But to leave off Solana, the market cap right now is $52 billion. The last major one that I'm going to get into is Cardano or ADA, ADA, and it's a relatively new one. It's not built on any of the other blockchains. It's, it's entirely its own blockchain. It's ranked number five right now based on trading volume, according to CMC, and it relies also on a proof of stake, meaning it doesn't use some of the high electricity usage that's needed for mining Bitcoin, for example, and its network is more efficient and sustainable. That's its value add. Cardano is called ADA 
and it was named after Ada Lovelace, which is a 19th century mathematician. Cardano, a lot of people are finding value in because its applications, a lot of them are about identity management and traceability. So its applications are going to be used to streamline data that comes in from multiple sources. So there's five different phases that Cardano is being built in in order to achieve its goal of developing this network into a decentralized application or a DApp platform. And each era or each phase in the Cardano roadmap is anchored by a research-based framework, peer-reviewed insights, and it has this reputation of being like a scholarly cryptocurrency. So that's why people are very positive about Cardano. The year-to-date gains for this one have been 588%, so not as high as some of the others, and its market cap is around $40 billion right now. Those are all of the main ones that are ranked, again, in terms of trading volume by coin market caps. You've got Bitcoin, Ethereum, Binance Coin or BNB, Solana, and Cardano. There's all kinds of other ones too, like XRP or Ripple, Litecoin. I'm not going to talk about those. If you're curious about those, definitely do some research and see what those currencies are about. But this will give you a solid understanding of the different currencies that are out there right now. All cryptocurrencies outside of Bitcoin are called altcoins. So I'm going to talk about what an altcoin is. But first, I want to talk about crypto coins versus tokens because they're a little bit different. So while coins and tokens are all different forms of cryptocurrency, they have different functions. Coins are built on their own blockchain and they are a form of cryptocurrency like Ether, for example. Ether is a cryptocurrency that's built on the Ethereum blockchain. Any blockchain-based cryptocurrency that's not Bitcoin is called an altcoin and Alt stands for alternative to Bitcoin. That's how the term kind of came up. Tokens, on the other hand, are built on an existing blockchain. So anything that's built on the Ethereum blockchain or Cardano, eventually when their blockchain fully comes out and is usable, or Solana, they are unique smart contracts that are called tokens. And these contracts can establish ownership like NFTs, for example. They can represent units of value. They can include real world applications. So things like electricity, money, um, digital assets. They're basically things that you can send and receive. And that's why NFTs are called non-fungible tokens. But I want to get into what altcoins are in general. Like Bitcoin, some of the cryptocurrencies have a limited supply. So like BNB we talked about has a limited supply, which helps create demand and then reinforce its perceived value. Tokens usually have an unlimited supply and they're created through an ICO or an initial coin offering. And that's very similar to what happens on the stock market when there's a new company that gets listed. Tokens are represented in similar ways. So things like value tokens, uh, security tokens, or utility tokens, which have some sort of specific purpose. And a token differs from a coin, mainly in the way that it's actually built within the blockchain. So most tokens are listed on the Ethereum smart chain or the Binance smart chain. So when people say they're trading shit coins, they're usually swapping BNB or Ether into one of these tokens. And the main thing that I want you to understand with altcoins is that they can be incredibly dangerous because anybody can code an altcoin. You just need to know how to code. A lot of them don't have any intrinsic value. They're just traded based off of artificial hype or demand. 
And the third reason why they're dangerous is they're just incredibly volatile. We talked about this a little bit before. I bought Dogecoin when it was listed at 0.04, so four cents. And I sold it when I doubled my investment. I thought it was a big win. Little did I know Elon was going to tweet about it and I could have made 10x my investment. So a big lesson for me here, and this is the thing with cryptos, is that a lot of the demand is manufactured and you don't know which ones people are going to find value in. There's definitely some signs and research that you can do. There's some analysis for sure, and people do go in depth about this. But a big lesson for me was that it's really tough to pinpoint and you can never have FOMO. So never invest more than you're willing to lose because a ton of stuff can go wrong. There's also a lot of different scams with altcoins. So I talked about some of the different threats and scams before in general, but specifically with altcoins, there's something called a honeypot, which is a type of scam where the token is coded in a way where people can buy it, but nobody can sell it. So as people buy, it signifies that there's a lot of demand for the token. So the price goes up and up and up, but nobody can sell. Alex, my boyfriend, actually plays around with altcoins a lot more than I do personally. My risk tolerance is a little bit, although it's higher than most, it's not as high as his. And he's actually recently experienced a honeypot. So because all crypto is decentralized, there's no one to complain to. There's no governing body that you can report this to. That's definitely a big con and why people avoid investing in altcoins. Rug pulls are another big one. So a rug pull is where the crypto developers abandon the project and then run away with the investors' funds. So rug pulls usually thrive on DEXs, which is a type of exchange that allows users to list their tokens for free and they don't go through an audit. So with centralized cryptocurrency exchanges, any of the main ones, anything that's listed on those usually goes through an audit. Most altcoins are going to go through an audit to get listed on the big exchanges, but sometimes even if an altcoin is listed on a major exchange, there's still some that fall through the cracks that are scams. A big thing to look for if you want to invest in altcoins is to look for ones where the developers, which are called devs in the crypto world, are doxxed, which means their identity is released and they aren't anonymous figures. And apart from scams, There's also flat out viruses that you can download from Trading Crypto. Alex actually contracted a virus on his computer that was changing the address whenever he wanted to send money to someone. So instead of copying the address that he needed to put in, it would replace it with some scammer's address. And thankfully he caught it in time. He's very attentive and like triple checks transactions when he's buying or selling. So as soon as he caught it, he wiped his computer clean and everything was fine. But That's something that you want to watch out for as well. So those are some of the cons and kind of how altcoins work in general. But how do people make money off of crypto? We talked about the dangers, but there's still a ton of opportunity and a lot of money to be made in the space. So how are people doing it? Well, some people are just buying and hodling, which means they're holding on for dear life. Some are taking profits as they go. Everyone's philosophy is a little bit different. I have some long-term positions as well. So things like Bitcoin and Ethereum, I see a lot of value in long-term. But there's also 
some newer applications. There's also staking, mining, and DAOs, which I'm going to explain. So let's get into staking first. Staking is actually kind of interesting when you wrap your head around it, but it basically means putting your money into something and expecting to get a return as a result. For legal reasons, they can't call it an interest account or a savings account or an investment fund. Although if you look at what crypto staking is on a functional level, it's exactly what it is. And the most common type of staking is where you're locking up your cryptocurrency to a proof of stake blockchain network. So what that means is these networks are going to give you the ability to validate transactions and then they reward you in cryptocurrency for doing so. So it's not like you are sitting there validating your transactions. It's something that happens automatically and you basically lock up your crypto and you get rewarded for it. It's also a lot cheaper to stake crypto than it is to mine it since you don't actually have to buy any expensive computer equipment and you don't have to get any kind of staking software up and running like you do with Bitcoin blockchain, for example. There's also something called a staking pool, which works in a slightly different way. And there's, you know, a unique set of risks that come with that. If you look at Binance, for example, it's centralized, meaning Binance, because it's backed by the exchange, there's a chance that the company could fold, lose all your money, misappropriate funds. And there's some pools that are decentralized, meaning that they're run by an algorithm instead of a person. When it comes to decentralized pools, something that you want to be mindful of is that the code itself could contain some sort of bug or be susceptible to hackers. So that's something, that's how centralized versus decentralized pools work. When it comes to returns, the returns are going to vary depending on what kind of pool it is. Staking basically lets you earn income from your crypto holdings. So while you're waiting for profits to come in from price speculation, so from the price of these currencies going up and down, which could take years potentially, you can reinvest your income into a staking network where you're buying other cryptocurrencies then earning compound interest like in a traditional market. So companies like BlockFi do this and BlockFi lends out your deposits. Let's say you want to stake your Bitcoin you put in your Bitcoin and then what they do is they pay out a part of this deposit to other customers. So it's kind of like a fund. At the time that I'm recording this, BlockFi lets you deposit stablecoin USDC and they pay out a 7.5% interest or yield on that per year. That's definitely on the lower end. I've seen APYs or annual percentage yields of close to 100% for some of the newer altcoins. But again, so much risk involved with that because you don't know if that currency is going to be around for a while. And the cryptocurrency itself could be banned from different countries that BlockFi operates in. BlockFi itself, it has its headquarters in New Jersey and it's been under fire under several US states. So that's something to be mindful of as well. BlockFi is just the largest company and they haven't folded yet, but they do have some competitors. The DeFi in general, DeFi is decentralized finance. There's also something called yield farming where you invest in a big pot of money and then an algorithm shifts around 
different protocols to earn you a yield. So, so they're kind of like crypto versions of asset managers. And I want you to replace the word stake with invest. So whenever you see the word stake in the crypto world, it's basically somebody else investing your funds for you, either that or you locking up some of your cryptocurrency in order to get a higher return. All of the different DeFi protocols have some sort of risk. In August of this year, there was a hacker that actually exploited a vulnerability that was built on a DeFi protocol called the Poly Network. And this hacker took $600 million from the protocol. And they they said that they returned a lot of the money, but as I'm recording this, a lot of people haven't gotten their money back still. So again, something to be mindful. It's a, a very well, it's a very unregulated space. It's kind of like the Wild West. Everyone's kind of walking around with guns. Whether or not people use them is up to that person. So a lot can happen in the space. But there are major exchanges like Binance and Coinbase that are starting to integrate a lot of these complex products into their own offerings and starting to ensure them and negate risk in some sense. So I have some cake token staked through PancakeSwap, which is a dApp on the Binance smart chain. Now that you've listened to the majority of this episode, you can kind of piece together what that means. And the annual percentage yield or the interest that I get for staking my cake in the cake pool around the time of recording is 55%. It's gone down quite a bit. Originally, um, when I went into this application, I, I saw that the APY was closer to 97%, so it's dropped significantly. And that happens as more and more people start to stake their cake as well. So cake is the native token of PancakeSwap. It's the number 52 rated token on CMC or CoinMarketCap in terms of trading volume. So it's pretty big considering that there are 10,000 different coins available on the market right now, but it's not a guaranteed investment, especially because the price of cake is so volatile. So when I bought it, the price of cake was about $18 per cake. Now it's $12. So it's dropped quite a bit. It hit its all-time high of $40 in April, and it's dropped quite a bit since then. But this is just crypto as a whole. It is incredibly volatile. I've said this like 17 times throughout this episode. If you are drinking anything while you're listening to this, take a sip if this was a drinking game, because it's volatile, guys. But that doesn't mean there's still not a ton of opportunities. And some people actually think that we're going through a crypto winter, which is a prolonged period of crypto prices declining which could be an opportunity. I was listening to the Coinbase CEO and some execs from Binance as well, and Emily Choi um, talk about how OGs in crypto love a crypto winter because all of the genuine people that believe in crypto say that they can do without the excess hype. And everybody who kind of disproportionately benefited from crypto just tends to just ride it out on the long term. Bitcoin's down 30% from its peak of almost 69,000 about a month ago, but it's 67% up in year to date. So I want you to think about that. Everybody who disproportionately benefits from crypto tends to ride it out in the long term and holds through the ups and downs. Crypto's definitely not for the faint of heart. And if you're a short-term investor, A crypto winter is probably not a good thing, but 
if you're somebody who sees value in these technologies long term, could be an opportunity to buy the dip. Well, so if you think about the fact that Bitcoin hit its all-time high in November, doubled its prices since July, and now it's down 30% of that and people are freaking out. It's still up 67% year to date. Then if you look at Ether, it dipped 20% in the last three months from its high of just over 4,000 USD. And for 2021, Ether rose 455%. So massive gains. The Kraken CEO to Jesse Powell actually said, a crypto winter is possible, but that would mean it would be a buying opportunity for a lot of people. Now, moving away from staking and crypto winters, I want to talk about mining quickly because that's a whole other way that people make money with crypto. And that's where people mine Bitcoin by having computers that solve really complex equations. So the first computer to find the solution to the equation or the problem is awarded with the next block of Bitcoins. And then the process starts again and again. So cryptocurrency is pretty costly. It It's fairly pain-proof as well. Like once you set up the miners, it runs on its own. Um, it's pretty sporadically rewarding. So after mining helium for the past two months, I can tell you it's definitely pretty sporadic and a lot of it's very location-based. So to give you guys an update, I bought five miners. The total investment was 2,500 USD. And to date, to be fully transparent with you guys, I've earned only $200 in rewards. Mainly that's because of the locations that we chose. So some of the locations were not ideal. And recently we put up a miner in a location up north in Innisville, Ontario, and there aren't as many people mining in that area yet. So the rewards are a little bit better, but I'll keep you posted. It's still really fresh. With mining crypto in general, you can earn cryptocurrency without having to put money down for it. You just have to have the equipment. So it is a passive stream of income. Hopefully I'm able to pay off the cost of those miners and then it actually becomes positive. Right now I'm definitely in the negative with that investment. But like I said, I'm gonna try it. If it doesn't work, you know, I knew the risks going into it. So I'm kind of just trying it to see if it sticks. The last way that people make money with crypto that I'm gonna get into is really interesting. And these are DAOs. They've been around for some time, but the trend's only picking up now. And it's basically an internet community with a shared bank account. So a small group of people get together, they form this group, and then they pull capital. Usually they have an Ethereum wallet. Everybody sends money to this wallet, and then the DAO decides their mission collectively. So DAOs usually fall into two different groups, um, people that manage open source blockchain projects together and DAOs that make investments. So a DAO is like a modern LLC or limited liability company. It's like a VC firm or an investment firm. There's a couple different types of DAOs, but it's important to first understand what a DAO is. So there's different types of DAOs that exist. To give you guys a couple examples of well-known DAOs, there's the Pleaser DAO, which collects NFTs and then invests in other assets. There's the Her Story DAO, which funds projects by Black women and non-binary artists. There's the Komorebi Collective DAO, which funds women and non-binary crypto founders. So there's all kinds of different DAOs out there in the world. If you want to invest in this kind of um, space, you want to be on Discord or Telegram. 
that's where a lot of these communities are built. And then the way that they operate, you first need to understand the technology behind them. They rely on blockchain technology and smart contracts. How the DAOs work is actually really interesting. So it's not like a traditional organization where there's a hierarchy and there's a board of directors, there's executives, upper management, all that. They don't have structures like that. It's fully decentralized, which means they aren't actually owned by a governed entity or a person. And each DAO has its own rules or governance structure that's coded into the smart contract that's on the blockchain. So those rules can't be changed unless people vote on them. And when you invest in a DAO, you have the right to vote on all these decisions together. When you actually gain membership into a DAO, you're buying governance tokens. So these cryptocurrencies have governance tokens that are linked to them. And the way that you get them, there's different kinds of funding rounds. There's um, different structures for the way that you obtain tokens, but essentially you get these governance tokens and then you're able to own equity in the DAO and then help shape the future of the DAO. So it varies from DAO to DAO. The weight of your vote is going to depend on how much you contribute to the project. So somebody that invested 300 ETH and somebody that invested 3 ETH, they're going to have different proportionality of their vote, right? Somebody that invested a significant portion is going to have more say into the future of the DAO. But a lot of the times there are limits. There are hard limits on how much you can actually contribute. Outside of just voting power, people can work for the DAO. So the DAO is like its own organization that's run by the people. There's internal jobs that the DAO has. So things like positioning the tokens, distributing them, distributing them, treasury management. There's different jobs and functions within the DAO. Marketing, for example, getting new investors. All of these are usually volunteer run or you're working for ownership, which means you're working for tokens. And despite the growing popularity, I think DAOs still have a long way to go before they reach mainstream adoption. Another really important thing to note is that not all DAOs work out. In fact, a lot of them don't work out over the long term. It's a very risky area to be poking around with, just like crypto in general. But it's, it's still so cool. Like the fact that an organization can be run by the people and it's fully decentralized, like this, this kind of stuff is incredible to see. And that's why... I see a lot of opportunity with it. When it comes to DAOs though, you definitely want to do your homework first and only spend what you can afford to lose. The upsides with DAOs can be pretty significant, but owning a, government's to owning a governance token is a bit like owning equity in an early stage startup. So yeah, it could be really successful, wildly successful later on, or the equity could be useless in the next little bit. So DAOs are going to have to go through a lot of regulatory hoops and legal challenges, in my opinion, especially in the U.S. There are a lot of unknowns about how this is going to work legally, and that could definitely impact DAOs and how they operate. But looking ahead, I think it definitely has the opportunity to disrupt a lot of traditional structures in business. I think DAOs are like the new LLCs, and the next Facebook or Meta, sorry, tech company I think is going to be formed on a DAO instead of a typical LLC. I went through a lot in this episode. Hopefully you guys learned a ton. I've been on this 
crypto deep end dive this past year. So I've learned a ton in the space. As I mentioned, I've, I'm pretty diversified in terms of like my strategies and how I'm approaching crypto in general. So I see a lot of value in certain assets long-term. Some of them I'm trading short-term. So I do trade altcoins on a short-term basis. I don't recommend that to anybody. In fact, none of this is financial advice. I'm just trying to educate you and show you where there are opportunities in the space and what's possible and what's out there. But by no means, what I do is going to work for you. That's why I want you to do some research. If there's anything throughout this episode that interested you, that you are curious about, I urge you to look into it further. I want this to be kind of like the entrance way for you to understand the space a little bit more. But ultimately, if you want to make gains in the space, if you're curious about this space, it's up to you to find DAOs, to find different staking opportunities, to look into some of these currencies more in depth, to then decide if it's something that you want to go into. I can't make that decision for you. Something that you've got to look into both the risks and the potential upside. And I hope that with this episode, I gave you a wholesome look into crypto in general. So I went into all of the different risks, the concerns, and why people are investing in it. And I want you to then make your own decisions and see what's right for you. This was the second last episode in the season. I've got another one coming for you next week on some reflections for the new year. It's going to be very different from this one. And that's what I love about this podcast. No two episodes are the same. Everything is just things that interest me. And it's me wanting to share what I've gone through and some of the things that I've learned with you guys. So hopefully you like the next one. I want you to sit down with the next one with a piece of paper and write some notes for yourself. And the same goes with this one. If you need to listen to it again, definitely go back and do that. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned a lot about crypto in 2022 and where it's headed. And if there are any questions that you guys have for me, shoot me an email, send me a DM. I'm always happy to chat. And if you think that there's somebody else out there that should learn about this, send them the episode, share it with them. As always, guys, if you're listening on Apple, please leave me a review. That would mean the world to me. And let me know in general if you have any thoughts or comments. Always happy to hear your thoughts. And we'll chat again next week. Until then, bye guys.